Well, God, we just ask that you would be here. God, we know that you are already here, that where two or more are gathered in your name, that you are there. But God, I pray that we would understand the power of your presence. We would understand the power of the Spirit in our lives, that you would speak to us through the power of your word, knowing that it is the Spirit that comforts us, the Spirit that counsels us, that encourages us, that even corrects us and rebukes us. And so, God, we pray that you speak to us today through your word, that, God, we would be people who are moved into action by the strength and by the power of what you speak to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. Um, and as you turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, I want to encourage you, we're going to be looking at a couple of things uh, today, a couple sections of Scripture, uh, just because of the way uh, this sermon really fits in. We started a new sermon series last week called Come to the Table. And if you know anything about the Sidewalk Prophet song, I told you last week that the Sidewalk Prophet song is probably one of my more favorite songs in today's uh, contemporary Christian music. Uh, but it really is an idea to inviting people to come to the table uh, where sinners and saints uh, are redeemed, are fed by uh, the power of the Word. And so we, we started this series last week, and we said that the, the church must be attractive to others. Jesus was very attractive to others, and I believe the church should be attractive. Now, when I say that, I say that with a cautious attitude, because attraction doesn't mean that we cater to uh, personalities or lifestyles and things like that. All right. When I say attractive, what I mean is this, that I believe that the gospel is very convicting, the gospel is very truthful, but the love of Jesus was always attractive to other people. Every person you see in the Bible was attracted to Jesus because Jesus walked with grace, Jesus walked with humility, but Jesus stood on truth. All right. So we said, number one, that the, the, that the, the church must be attractive to others. Jesus was very attractive to people. That's how he gathered large groups of people to follow him. Number two, we said that the church needed to make room at the table for who? For others, right? We need to provide an opportunity for others to pull up to the table to be fed the word of God, to be fed the truth of God, to be fed really the bread of life that we talked about in John, uh, that, that, that John talks about who Jesus is. And then the last thing we said, we must be about healing the sick. Jesus was all about healing the sick. Remember, he says, I came to heal or, or I came to, to meet the needs of those who are sick because it's not the righteous who need a doctor, but who? The sick. All right? So we said that when we talked about this coming to the table, the church must be attractive. The church must have room for others. And then the church, by standing on the word of God, by preaching the word of God, by teaching the word of God, leads people from sickness to health, leads people from death to life, not based upon anything we do, but based upon the, the simple teaching of God's Word. So First Peter chapter 2, we're going to continue our Come to the Table series. Now, last week we said this, and I'm going to pop these up real quick. We're going to run through them, but I want you to think about this when, from a spiritual standpoint. We talked about the benefits of family mealtime. These are the scientific. There is nothing biblical about this, all right? So don't go home and be like, look, hey, see, this is what we're talking about. But we talked about the benefits of family mealtime. So here are some of the benefits we said of family mealtime. Number one was there's better academic performance for kids. Kids who took part in family mealtime had better academic performance. Here's what I want to tie into you and let you understand this. When I take place in an active family mealtime with the church, guess what happens with my growth spiritually? It goes up. There is a tie to activity 
within the church, in other words, being plugged in, relationships, growth, and things like that. If you solely come on Sunday morning and miss out on other things, you miss out on the benefits of family mealtime. So while we look at it and we go, hey, better academic performance for kids, listen to me, when you are actively involved in the life of the church, guess what happens? You grow more, okay? Number two, physically healthier. Now, we can't really argue much about that, right? Like, to me, one of the things about a Christian should be that I got to take care of what God gave me, right? Okay? Now, we can all look and go, man, we all got areas to grow. Look, I, I, we were just talking about this earlier. I am the guy that if I opened a bag of Lay's potato chips... I could eat the whole bag of Lay's potato chips in one sitting. Now, I might die of a heart attack, but I'm not joking. I could sit down and watch a football game and give me a bag of Lay's potato chips, and that sucker would be gone if I, if I didn't have some sort of self-control. All right? So physically healthier, that's great. Lowers high-risk behavior. Okay? So when families eat together, the idea that teenagers are going to have lower high-risk behavior is something that plays out. Listen to me. When you are part of the church and you pull yourself up to the table, guess what ends up happening? You lower your high-risk behavior. You tend to surround yourselves with other people. Now listen to me. This is not a re- reason to get away from lost people, to run from the lost people. It's idea of this, that I can lower my high-risk behavior with accountability within a group of believers who will hold me accountable and say, hey, you know, you probably shouldn't be doing that. So I lower high-risk behavior. I lower my rates of depression and suicidal thoughts. Listen to me, and this is something that I, I wholeheartedly believe. As a matter of fact, I got sent a leak early, link earlier this week of a pastor in California. It's been all over the national news of, of a gentleman who just preached through dealing with emotions and depression and stuff and took his own life last Saturday night. Left a family with three boys and his wife. Listen to me. Nobody is beyond suicide and depression. But I believe wholeheartedly that when you go to the family, when you relate to each other around the table, you can go to people in church and not hide things. You don't have to deal with things on your own. You can carry it out, and I believe that will help you lower the depression mentality and the suicidal thoughts when I'm connected to a group of believers who will lift me up, who will encourage me, who will pray for me when I'm down, who will stand by me when I go through the deepest valleys in my life. So it lowers the rate of depression and suicidal thoughts. I believe you'll have more positive moods. Listen, one of the things that drives me nuts sometimes about Christians is we get so caught up in being correct that we miss out on joy in life. Or being correct, sorry. We, 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 we miss out on, on joy and fun. As a matter of fact, the old adage is this. Once I become a Christian, all the fun stopped. That's what a lot of people think. Well, I can't have fun anymore. That's not true. Some of the most fun you can have is just being obedient to what God has called you to do. Listen, laughter is a great form of medicine, but joy, joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Love, what? Joy, second one. Love of God, love of others, joy. Joy in all circumstances, all right? Number, the the next one, we said a sense of belonging and a higher self-esteem. Nobody will bring you more purpose in your life than a relationship with Jesus Christ. He draws that out. He shows you why he created you and what you exist for. More positive view on the future. How can you not have a more positive view on the future? Because if you have a relationship with Christ, your future is set in stone. No matter what you face, no matter when you die, you are guaranteed a relationship with Jesus Christ leads you to eternity with him. 
And the last one, you'll develop spiritual formation. When you pull up to the table, you will grow spiritually. So I just wanted to lay that out and tie this in to the thing because at the table, I believe wholeheartedly, we can laugh, we can develop character, we can show love and service, but we can also eat. Baptists are known for that, right? Like, I mean, we eat and we eat well. Matter of fact, a lot of times when we say fellowship and discipleship, Baptists put those two together and they're like, fellowship? Disciple fellow? I don't know. I, you know, it's, everything goes hand in hand. We got food and we got the word. We got hanging out and you're getting taught. This is one of those things that takes place. All of this goes on. But today we're going to look at something that I believe is wholeheartedly, it's ingrained into us. It's in our vision statement. Today we're going to look at, me, at what it means to become all that God created you to be. I mean, who doesn't want that? I want to become everything God created me to be. I mean, think about this. If I go out and buy some super sporty sports car, and never get it above 50 miles an hour. What good is that? I mean, last I checked, that's absolutely no good. What's that? I mean, I, yeah, you got it. You could cruise around the street doing 40, you know. But like, I got this super sporty sports car. Now I'm going to reveal a little bit of my flaw here. I'm going to be testing it out. Which might lead me into a little bit of trouble <laughs> later on down the road, right? Because <laughs> I might see some blue and red lights behind me. Okay, but they're going to be, this is why I don't have one of these cars. Okay, <laughs> okay. But, but there are things, listen, if you, if you do not become all that God created you to be, you are taking something that God created with great potential, with great effort, with a great desire to be a change agent within the world, and you're saying, I'm just going to exist. I'm going to do 40 when I could be driving on the Autobahn. God created you to be so much more than oftentimes we want to give into or understand. And there's a way that I can become everything that God created me to be. And I believe that that's what we're going we're gonna to answer today. See, the road to becoming an adult is full of ups and downs, is it not? All right, last week we started to tie in some things. You'll notice our table setup is a little bit different. But there are things that take place in a kid's life that shouldn't be taking place place in an adult's life. Now, I say that cautiously because some of the stuff we see lately, you're like, good grief, did you ever grow out of being two? You know, some adults flipping out and throwing a temper tantrum in a store because they didn't get their way. In reality, they're showing their immaturity, all right? But today, we're going to look at what it becomes or what it means to become all that God created you to be. And so I, I say this wholeheartedly, and we have to begin to understand this. In order to invite people to table and feed people food, we must be students of the word first. We must be students of the food first. We must know our menu and be able to prepare it and serve it to others. So here's the reality. Here's how this is going to play out. When we invite people to table, remember we said we want to be attractional. In other words, we want, to, we want people to be attracted by the love and grace that the church gives out. No matter what their background is, they need to be attracted to us because we love them, we give grace, we give mercy because that's what Jesus did first and foremost. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He offered the grace that we didn't deserve because we were still sinners, we were already sinners, and he knew that. So when we invite people to the table, we're going to be attracted to others, but where, here's the deal. At the table, what happens at a table? You usually eat, right? 
which means there has to be food. And in order to be food, there has to be somebody who serves the food, prepares the food, all right? So here's the big picture. Who prepares the food to feed the people? The church does, all right? You, you, I mean, you can look at it. You could say, well, the pastor does, but you can also look and go, the Sunday school teachers do, the kids workers do, the youth workers do, the life group leaders do. All of those things go hand in hand to prepare the food, to feed people when you've invited them to the table. Now, I got some of my daughter's toys because there's a big difference between real food and fake food, isn't there? Like, I mean, could you imagine coming to my house, <laughs> sitting down at my table, and me giving you one of the plastic hot dogs? There you go. I mean, you would look at me and you're like, you're, you're crazy. What, 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 kind of, what kind of mess is this? Oh, oh, I'm sorry, you, you must be a vegetarian. I'll give you, I'll give you some fruit. Well, that's still not real food. It's not going to lead me anywhere. It's going to lead me down a road to destruction. And, and listen, so today's sermon title is this, You Are What You Eat. Now, you can look that up from a scientific standpoint, and there's all kinds of things where they say, if you want to be a good leader, you got to eat healthy. If you want to be the cream of the crop, you got to do certain things. There are things that run in, in people's lives. But I want you to understand this, and I believe that this is the key point today. If you remember anything, you remember this. God created you to be more than self-serving. He created you to grow into a multiplying disciple maker. Remember what we talked about, becoming all that God created you to be. God created you to be more than self-serving. God created you to be a multiplying disciple maker. And I hope you hear that point out. Because the point of the church is to be about multiplication. And here's the big kicker. Here's the problem, okay? The church has gotten really good at eating our own food, right? We've gotten very good at eating our own food. But the problem is we've gotten really bad about inviting people to the table and serving them the food that we've been taking part in. We don't take food to the people out at work. Well, if they come and ask me what I'm eating, I might talk about it, but I'm not going to tell them what I'm eating. I'm not going to show them how to eat healthy. I'm not going to show them how to make different decisions in life. I'm not going to, you see what I'm saying? And so if we want to be a multiplying disciple maker, there are things that we have to understand. So becoming all that God created me to be is the main point of today's thing. Why? Because God created me to be a multiplying disciple maker. Nowhere in Scripture did God say, hey, I want you to come in, sit down, soak up everything you've done, and never do a thing. But for some reason, American culture bought that hook, line, and sinker and said, if I just grow to know more, and I continue to grow to know more, then I'll be better. The problem is this. The more you eat... And the less you put into action, anybody tell me what happens even in your real life? You get fat, right? The more you eat and the less you put into action, all you do is you become a morbidly obese Christian. Matter of fact, I heard this say one time, and I, I tend to use it a lot, 
but your spiritual Bible belt may be either completely unbuckled or it might be on the last hole. You might be wishing you had spiritual jogging pants. So you got a little bit of an expansion going on. See, the truth of the matter is this. Discipleship is growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. But discipleship is growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ and putting into action everything I've learned. That's true discipleship. Becoming all that God created to me, me to be is more than just knowledge. It's action. Matter of fact, look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. Listen to what he says. Or, sorry, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Listen to what he's saying. He's saying basically, hey, you got to check yourself, check your sins, get rid of all that junk, and then here's what you need to do. So confess your sins up front, get rid of those, get rid of them, throw them away, and then verse 2, like newborn babies do what? Craves pure spiritual milk. There's something in there to be said. So how do I grow and multiply? This is the question today. Number one is this, crave the word, all right? Listen again what he says, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk. Now, I didn't have a bottle, so I didn't bring a bottle, but I got milk, and I got a glass. What does the word crave mean? The word crave means to desire. If I am craving, like, like, man, when I crave pizza, what's that mean? Like, I desire pizza. I'm like, it's like, oh, man, all I can think about is pizza. The taste is on my tongue. I can smell it. Maybe you drive by and you, you, you smell it, Minsky's or something like that. You know, you're like, oh, pizza. I crave it. Listen again to what Peter says. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk. This whole idea of craving is an eager desire for something. And here's what Peter's saying. If you want to grow, it's got to start somewhere. And when you're a baby, what does it start with? Milk. And babies know when they're hungry. They know when they need milk because they let out what? Crying. They let everybody know they are in desperate need of milk. So here's the deal. We talked about chairs last week, and we said that there were four chairs. There was kind of, there was, every church should be made up of them, all right? There's the kind of the seeker, all right? The person who may be looking for, maybe they don't even know they want to go to church. They may be like, I have no desire to grow, to know who Jesus is. I have no desire. I don't believe that, anything else like that. But listen, the church should be made up of that. In other words, we are inviting people to hear the gospel, Okay? It may mean that those people don't come to the church building, but guess what you're doing? You're inviting the unsaved to sit around the table with you. You're inviting them into your life. So I have the seekers. I have young, new believers, children, all right? They're immature. They're going to kind of be the people who, you know, child, throws a fit, whatever you want to call it. They're going to they're have little temper tantrums. You got teenagers. You got adults. But I'm going to throw something else in there because I think there's something that needs to be said. The reality is you have newborn babies, right? And the newborn baby sits where? I don't even think I can fit. I can't. My hips aren't big enough or my hips are too wide. Listen, 
A newborn baby sits in a what? A newborn baby throws a temper tantrum, right? When a newborn baby, matter of fact, it doesn't even have to be a newborn baby, sorry. Let me just say a baby. When a baby doesn't want their food, what do they do with a spoon or whatever's in there? They what? Throw it on the floor. What happens with the food? I think there's more around it, whether it's on the wall, the floor, the tray, or themselves than they're ever got in their mouth, right? But let me explain something, and here's what I saw, at least in my opinion, growing up. There were a lot of Christians who were, quote-unquote, serving and leading in the church that were stuck in this chair. You want to know why? Because when something didn't go their way, what do they do? I'm not happy. I'm going to throw my food. Sorry, that went a lot farther than I ever expected. <laughs> Listen to me. Paul's talking very simply about this. Like a newborn baby, crave pure spiritual milk. You need to crave the word. And when I crave the word, I grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Listen again what he says. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk. I, I think this plays out big time because the role of the word is to what? Feed us. The role of God's word is to feed us to meet us, to nourish us, to, to meet us where we're at, to give us what we need so that we can grow. We don't stay in the high chair. We move on to what? The big chair. I mean, could you imagine if your kids, by the time they were 13, were still sitting in a high chair? What would everybody do? Like you go out to eat and you're like, yeah, we got two adults and we need three high chairs. You got a 13-year-old. I know, they're still eating at the high chair. It's Okay. Everybody would be like, what the heck is wrong with you? But we do that in the church, don't we? People don't move from the high chair to the chair. They're still stuck here. And here's the deal. A baby is always selfish. Everything is about them. Rightly so. Why? Because they need to be cared for. They need to be nurtured. So I got a slide. We're going to pop this up, Ethan. I think the, the diagram, I'm going to pull this out real quick. I tried to enlarge it. All right. Here's the deal. Uh-oh, that's not, I thought we had a laser. That's how it works. Anyways, you can see it. I enlarged it a little bit more, but you'll see the seeker. The person who responds to the gospel or hasn't responded to the gospel, you're teaching the gospel, they're, they're maybe looking, but then they become born again, they become a believer, and then there's this infant phase. And in the infant phase, what happens? They got to learn from others, they learn new truth, and they learn new habits, correct? Like a baby doesn't know everything that's right or wrong. The baby has to learn what's right and what's wrong. So they have to develop habits. And then you grow and go into the child phase. They're growing in their relationships, but they're very self-centered. And we got to take them from being self-centered to other-centered. So you got the childhood phase. Then you got your young adult phase. Now everybody knows about young adults. It's one of those things that we're like, oh my gosh. And I call it young adults, but we're going to call them adolescents to a certain extent. Adolescents tend to struggle. So what do we want to teach them? We want to teach them to demonstrate consistent Christian character. In other words, i got to make right decisions. We want to teach them how to exercise godly stewardship. Do you train your son or daughter in the way to be wise stewards of what God's given them? Because I am blown away in today's world how crazy people are when it comes to money. The basic things that I was taught as a kid, things that were just simple, saving, tithing, and then living off the rest, and how many people can't even do that. And listen to me, 
that's the same Christian and non-Christian alike. There doesn't seem to be much difference. So we train them to be uh, exercise godly stewardship, to display, display dependence on the Holy Spirit. They have to learn to rely upon the power of the Holy Spirit. And then we want to see them seek to advance, seeking advanced quipping. They want to grow in their relationship to be moved from a young adult to a, a, a spiritual adult. There are phases that take place here that we have to begin to understand. We have to crave the word. See, I don't have to look very far to be able to eat unhealthy food, do I? I mean, all I got to do is drive down 23rd Street or Nolan Road or 40 Highway, and you're going to pass a lot of places that are unhealthy. I mean, if you ever watched the, I'm trying to remember what it was called, Supersize Me, um, I watched bits and pieces of it where the guy ate nothing but McDonald's food for 30 days, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And talk, they, I mean, like, they had doctors following this and everything, a big old documentary on it, and how unhealthy he came. He became obese or put on massive amounts of weight. Cholesterol went through the roof. It was just, it was crazy. As a matter of fact, I remember when I, when I think about this, when craving the word, I want you to understand what it means to crave, to have an eager anticipation, a desire for God's word in my life. In order to grow, I have to crave this word. I have to desire to grow in the word of God. I have to take it in. I have to go after it. I have to pursue it. As an infant, it has to be prepared for them. As a child, they begin to kind of understand what it means. Like our kids now, they're like, I'm hungry. You know, it's on a Saturday. I'm hungry for lunch. Okay, well, there's the refrigerator. You got lunch meat. Got leftovers. You got taquitos. Not so healthy for you. Just throw them in the microwave, all right? But they learn to begin to prepare the food themselves, don't they? As a teenager, a teenager just walks in and they just clear out your cupboard. All of a sudden, you're standing around going, I just bought that stuff. Where'd it go? Did you eat all my food? Oh, yeah. You have to crave the word. And I want to give you four things real quick. You can write this down if you take notes. I would encourage you to do this. All right? But when I crave the word, I can, I can give you a simple explanation. As a matter of fact, I'm going to teach a class starting September 16th on, on, on how to study the Bible devotionally, first of all, and then how to dig deeper. But I'm going to give you four things. This is something they call soaping a scripture. All right? Anybody ever learn this, how to soap a scripture? All right? Yeah, Darren and I have talked about it. But the simple fact is this. When I read God's word, I can soap it. Number one is this, scripture. I can write down the scripture. I can reread the scripture, I can read it in multiple translations, NIV, NLT, NAS, ESV, whatever it is. Read the scripture, get it down. Number two is observation. What's going on in the text? Who's this about? What's being said? You, you basically observe what's going on in that text. Number three is application. What is God trying to teach me through this text that I can apply to my life? Is there anywhere in my life that I need to change as a result of this scripture? And number four is to pray over it. God, thank you for what you revealed to me today through the power of your word. May I be a person who lives this out on a daily basis. If you can do that in scripture, you can very easily understand and begin to crave the word. But you got to do it. Matter of fact, I read an article not uh, just this week. Do you want to know the difference between churches that are growing and churches that aren't? Churches that are growing have more activities. No, nope. maybe true. Churches that are larger have more people. Yeah, that may be true. Do you want to know the differences? 
The difference was the personal devotion to growing in the Word. The churches that were growing, the churches that were multiplying disciples, had taken a strong responsibility among themselves to grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. So here's, here's my big statement. This is what I, I keep trying to go back to. When I come to the table, I can be fed once a week, but what's once a week going to do for me? I got old King's Hawaiian rolls. Everybody doesn't want to do it. But what's, one, what's once a week going to do for me? You're going to be hungry five days a week. If I ate the bread one day a week, how nourished am I going to be? How full am I going to be? How much am I going to know? When I face, listen to me, when I face the toughest times in my life and I have nothing to go on, I have no strength to get through the most difficult decisions. I have no strength to suffer through the depression or anxiety I may feel. I have no ability to stand up to the loss of a loved one. Why? Because I've solely relied upon eating once a week from the mouth of somebody else. I'm not even digging into the Word. And as a result, because of that, guess what happens? When the tough times hit, that's when we fail. That's when we struggle. That's when we fall apart. That's when we walk away from the church and usually walk away from anything that God said because we don't have any sort of personal connection to God outside of Sunday morning. And what I want to challenge you, and this is what I, my biggest thing, and this can be our focus this year, I'm wholeheartedly convinced of this, is that we as a church have to be more committed and more dedicated to growing personally so that we can grow corporately. Does that make sense? No church will grow corporately if there's not personal growth in the lives of the believers there in the church. It'll never happen. You could try every gimmick under the sun. You can change the music. You can change the the ideas and thought processes. You can go through all kinds of things, but the reality is if we're not growing personally, we will never grow corporately. And so my heart is this, that over the next year, our big focus will be that we will grow personally. That's why Starting September 16th, I'm going to teach a very, it'll probably be about a month-long class on how to have a devotion, how to spend time in prayer, how to memorize scripture, and then listen from that, because devotion is completely different than studying the Bible, how to study the Bible. Because I wholeheartedly believe this is what we need. Listen again to what Peter says. Rid yourselves of all the malice and all the deceit, the hypocrisy, the envy and slander of every kind. And like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk. And then here's why he says it. You got to crave the milk because in order to grow, listen to what he says, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. In order to grow in my relationship with Jesus Christ, in order to grow in my knowledge of what's going on, of salvation and things like that, I have to crave the pure spiritual milk. And this is torturous for me to drink this because it's kind of lukewarm. And I hate it. But this is the idea. Is that I crave pure spiritual milk so that I can grow in my salvation so I can understand what God wants me to do, so that I can stand on the truth of his word when the times get tough, so that I know why I should or shouldn't do certain things. Why? 
because I'm growing in my relationship with Jesus Christ. So number two is this, grow up in salvation. As we continue to grow, we will move from one seat to another. Now we talked about taking in the bread, but if you were to go back, and I'm going to give you a couple of things. Number one, in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 43, and really to the end of Acts chapter 2, it says the disciples devoted themselves to a number of things, all right? Acts chapter 2, and I'm going to read them to you just very simply, very quickly, so you can understand what's going on. But prior to the church blowing up numerically, there was something that goes on. In verse 42, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Was that opinion or was that scripture? It would have been scripture. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer, and everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. So here's the reality. In order to grow corporately, we have to grow personally. There has to be a commitment to grow up in my salvation. What, what were the disciples committed to? They were committed to growing in the word. They were committed to fellowshipping together. They were committed to praying together. They were all kinds of, they were serving. They were evangelizing. And what I find ironic is this. The numeric growth came as a result of personal growth in their lives. We say this all the time, but we sometimes don't think about it. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. We could have all kinds of evangelism training. The reality is, if you're not growing personally, evangelism training does no good. Matter of fact, I think it's one of those American things that we've just kind of turned in. Hey, man, we're going to train you how to do evangelism. And listen, I'm not trying to discredit training somebody to do evangelism, but listen to me. If I had a growing personal relationship with Jesus Christ, the Bible is very clear that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. When somebody says something, I have a chance to speak up to love them with grace, to show them the humility that a Christian should have, to stand on the truth, to serve them regardless of how they look at you. In my time at FedEx, one thing I've, I've seen, and, and granted, we don't get a lot of talking. I'm riding a forklift. But in that time, it's funny how conversations change when people figure out what's going on and how they all of a sudden want to have conversation. I've had conversations with numbers of guys in trailers. Now, one guy, I think I've told the story before, believes in flat earth. <laughs> Everything's conspiracy theory for the government, you know. <laughs> and I'm just like, man, I'm going to point you straight to the, to the gospel. I, I had him download uh, the Bible app to start reading through it and watch the videos. And I started asking him questions about it because he had a lot of questions. Never believed yet. Funny guy. But I stand by and I go, you know what? The Spirit can change his heart. God can do that. But I just got to grow in my relationship with Jesus Christ. So our goal as a church, listen, and this is what I believe wholeheartedly. I, I told you this when I got here. Our goal as a church is to become a multiplying church. That means that people within the church are multiplying themselves. They're multiplying disciples. Not addition, multiplication. Multiplication goes way faster, doesn't it? Addition is slow. Addition is a slow process. But multiplication, that's what Jesus was talking about. 
And these people were committed in Acts chapter 2, they were committed to the devotion, the teachings of the apostles, to fellowshipping together, to praying. And as a result of that, the church grew. It was very attractional. People were like, man, look at what's going on. We want to go see what's happening. As a result, people come to Christ. Listen to me, I'm not looking, and I hope you hear me out on this, I'm not looking for us to all of a sudden become a church of 3,000. Matter of fact, if we were to become a church of 3,000, I could tell you real quick, what we would be start to grow or start to do would be to try and ask people to leave. Don't take this wrong, all right? But the whole point to me of the gospel-centered multiplying movement is this. You bring people in, you train, equip, you encourage, and you launch them out. That should be what Sunday's about. You're brought in, you're fed, you're equipped, you're growing in your relationship outside the church, you're excited, you're built up, maybe you're encouraged because you ran into some tough times, but you leave the building, you leave the hardcore, what we'll call the hardscape of the church, you go out and you take the gospel to the world. That's a multiplying movement. So I grow in my salvation. Listen again what he says. Crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. And listen to what he says now. Now that you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. When you taste and see what God is doing in your life, when you're growing in your relationship with Jesus Christ, craving that pure spiritual milk, growing in salvation, you have already tasted it. You experienced it. And as a result of that, your mouth speaks. As a result of that, you can serve others, even those who hate you. So, like I said, we're going to be focusing our efforts in growing this year. We're going to be providing you food. You're invited to the table. Matter of fact, if you're not part of our church, we want to invite you to be a part of our church, to pull up to the table, identify where you're at in those areas. I think it should be something that's very simple, shouldn't it? I may be a new believer. There's nothing wrong with that. The only problem is if you stay that new believer mentality, For the rest of your spiritual life, which is what happens for so many people. Why? Because they don't grow, they don't get connected to the life of the church, and they struggle. So they stay in the infant phase, or they stay in a childhood phase. Listen to the parent phase real quick, the last one. They are trained in the discipleship process, how to grow in my relationship, how to lead people to Christ, they're apprenticed in the discipleship process, and then they're released to reproduce. Listen to me. If you're an adult, if you want to classify yourself as an adult, there's an intentional reproduction process that goes there, and I want to ask you this question. If you classify yourself as an adult, are you reproducing? That's the big question. If I'm not reproducing, I'm not a what? No matter how much you want to say you're an adult, if I am not reproducing, I am not an adult. And everybody knows this. When an adult tries to act like something else that they're not, it looks terrible, doesn't it? That's what ends up happening. When we try and act like something we're not, it's a mess. It's awful. It falls apart. And so the simple way is this. I'm just asking you to do this. Everybody who goes through our new members class sees this. But I'm asking you to identify in your own, I'm not asking you to raise your hand, where are you at? 
Where am I at? Am I an infant? Am I a child? Am I a young adult? Am I an adult? And if I would classify myself as an adult, I'm asking you this. What are you doing to reproduce yourself? How are you engaging people who are outside? How are you trying to multiply the gospel? See, the last thing is this. Number three. How do I grow and multiply? Number one, we said you crave the word. Number two, you have to grow in your salvation. Number three is this, and it's going to come from Hebrews chapter five. But number three is this. I have to continue coming to the table. I have to continue coming to the table. Listen to Hebrews chapter five. And there's a number of things going on here when we talk about the context of what's going on. But, but the writer of Hebrews basically says this. We have much to say about this, but it's hard to explain because you're slow to learn. Anybody a slow learner? You might be like, hey, that's me. I'm a slow learner. But in verse 12, it says this. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the who? Mature. Solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Here's the truth. Here's the reality. I crave pure spiritual milk. I want the pureness of what God gives me. But I don't stay at pure spiritual milk all the time, right? I'm not going to be a newborn baby my whole life. I want to strive for eating solid food. I want to strive for taking in what's going to nourish me. Why? Because I need to grow. That's exactly what he's saying. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. In other words, they're just beginning to understand what's going on. But solid food, solid food is for the mature. So if I want to continue to grow, if I want to grow in the grace and knowledge, if I want to, I have to crave the pure spiritual milk first, but then I've got to move on from pure spiritual milk into solid food. Could you imagine going to a restaurant and somebody ordering baby food? Like an adult. Yeah, I need baby food. Do you have jars of baby food? I mean, it would be weird. But yet that's oftentimes what happens. We, we don't grow into taking in solid spiritual food. Instead, we stick to the milk and only the milk. So listen to me, there's a process. You start off in a chair and you move into hopefully becoming a person. Listen to this, an adult who reproduces himself does what? They're the dudes with the food or the dudettes, whatever you want to call it. They're the ones who are feeding others. An adult is somebody who can prepare the meal, serve the meal, and invite people to the meal. An adult is somebody who has taken the time to grow, to reproduce themselves, who takes in God's word so that they can serve the food to other people. One of the biggest lies in the church, and I'm going I'm to say this wholeheartedly, and I have to cautiously say this because I had somebody recently say it to me this week, but when I hear people tell me, I don't get fed in church, what you're telling me is you don't feed yourself. Because like I said, if you solely rely on Sunday morning to get fed, you're malnourished, 
and you got problems. You cannot solely rely upon the pastor or the Sunday school teacher to give you everything you need. I believe wholeheartedly, and listen to me, I'm not taking away my responsibility as pastor. I believe wholeheartedly it's my job to prepare the food to serve to you so that you can continue feeding and be encouraged. But it is not my job to live your spiritual life out for you day in and day out. It's my job to teach you, to train you, to equip you, to feed yourself so that you can then take the food to other people. That's the role. My goal, my wife's goal, is to raise our kids so that they can support their own family and they can invite their own friends over to be at their table and they can serve them food, right? It's not the goal that my kids are going to stay in my house the whole, their whole life. Oh, no, no, I know. Nobody wants that. Everybody's like, yeah, there's a point. You got to move out. Okay? There is a point where, as a believer, you got to move out. You got to step up. You got to grow in your relationship. You got to move out and you got to begin to serve food. If you're a teenager, that's going to be a problem. If you're an adult, it's not a big deal, is it? If you're a kid, Massive problem. Can you imagine a house full of six-year-olds? Who's paying rent? Never going to happen. But adults, adults can step into maturity. Adults are growing in the word. And adults can reproduce themselves to provide a way to serve others. So my simple question is today, where are you at? Are you a multiplying disciple are you a child who needs to grow? And listen to me, you can be hard on yourself, but I'm going to say something to this too. There are a lot more people who are close to the adult phase that you're just continuing to look and go, no, no, I'll never be there. I'll never make it. And that lie is just as bad. And here's the reason why. Do you think you're ever going to know everything about the Bible? Do you think you're ever going to know everything you need to know? The Christian process is constant and continual growth. And the minute you think you know it all is the minute you become so self-righteous that God's going to whack you upside the head. I'm telling you. Because you should be learning new things every day. Why? Because the mercy of the Lord is new every morning. So the simple question is this, where are you at and how do you pull up to the table? If you're a child, I want to invite you very simply. Here's, here's the easy thing. We ask that you commit to one, one of two, all right? I'm not asking for a bunch. I'm asking you to commit to one or two, one of two. Either attend Bible study on Sunday morning or be a part of a life group. If you want to do both, great, that's even better. But I'm asking you to commit to one so that you can grow. You cannot grow apart from these things. To solely come on Sunday morning, you're going to miss out on it. But to be a part of the body, to be connected in what's going on, I'm asking you to commit to growing in one of those ways. All right? Like I said, if you want to do both, great. Do both. We want to encourage you that. I'm never going to discourage anybody from doing that. But don't let growing in the knowledge of Jesus Christ become the point to say, I don't have to put it into action. Because the big picture is I want to put everything into action. Everything God teaches me, I want to live it out. 
When he shows me his grace, I want to show grace to others. When he shows me his love, I'm going to show love to others. When he shows me his forgiveness, I'm going to show others forgiveness. Or I'm going to ask for forgiveness. I had to do that last night, man. I absolutely blew a gasket. I ripped my kid's head off. I'm telling you. I even went to Sarah. I was like, I was out of line, wasn't I? She goes, oh, yeah. Like, I blew it. And I got in the shower and I got cleaned up and I was just convinced, convicted in the shower. And I went to him and I got them all in the room and I said, I screwed up big time. And I got to ask you your forgiveness. I let my attitude, I let my anger get the best of me. Will you forgive me? And tears rolling down their face. Yeah, yeah, we'll forgive you. And they all gave me hugs and kisses and that was great. But I felt like an absolute moron because I let my anger get the best of me and I lashed out. Listen to me, you're not going to have perfection. You're going to grow. And that's what you need to do. So I'm just asking you, where do you need to step in? Where do you need to connect? What do you need to do to step up to the table? And come to the table and join us. That's the invitation. I'm not asking you to put yourself in the adult seat. If you're in the child seat, be honest with yourself. I want to help you go from child to teenager to an adult. That's what our church wants to do. We want to help each one of us move in that process so that we can multiply disciples. Let's pray. Father, we, we know that you have called us to a great task, your great commission, to make disciples of all nations. And Father, we know that without your strength, without your power, we can't do it. But God, we also know that you've given us everything. Everything is at our use. And so, God, I pray that we can grow in our relationship. I pray that we would have a heart to dig into your word, to, to crave pure spiritual milk, to not stay at, at drinking pure spiritual milk, to, but move on to maturity where we take in solid food so we can grow, so that out of the overflow of our heart, our mouths will speak. And so, God, I pray, just as we have talked about this for years, that our church would continue to work the process of becoming a multiplying movement. A movement cannot be stopped by the simple acts of one person or one individual with what Satan can do, but a movement moves on. A movement will pick people up and help each other out to accomplish a purpose. And God, I pray that we can accomplish a great purpose here in Independence and around the world. So God, I pray that we would find out where we're at, that we would pull up to the table and do what we need to do to learn to grow in our relationship with you. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. As we close with